Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80, The Zone. The Dodgers knock out the Cardinals. How about the drama? That was tense, 1-1. Seemed like every base runner was a big deal. Nobody could get a hit with a run in scoring position. And eventually, Chris Taylor hits the two-run homer in the bottom of the ninth. He walks it off. Bedlam in Dodger Stadium. And for the Dodger fans, obviously, winning the game in a moment is a big deal. But I think for a lot of baseball fans, they wanted the Dodgers and the Giants. They wanted the rivalry. They wanted the 106 wins versus the 107 wins. And now they're getting it in the division series. Here we go. Plenty of drama, that's for sure. feel bad for the Cardinals, man. 17-game win streak. That was a heck of a September to get there, and then it's, it's just done. It's over. The finality of it. You can just see it on their face in the dugout. I think when you win 17 in a row in September, you think you got the magic. Anything can happen in October. And unfortunately for them, it did there in the first game. All right, coming up, we got a lot of college football for you. Um, the... Multiple storylines, the multiple games here. Uh, there, there are so many things uh, to touch upon here. Obviously, BYU going for six and zero. Get halfway through the season, be undefeated. You know, for a lot of teams, the front half is the easy half of their schedule. For BYU, on paper, it looks like the front half is the hard half of the schedule. Now, if you've got to negotiate the back half with a freshman quarterback who's played two quarters of college football, obviously the degree of difficulty might go up. Who will quarterback? You know, how, how is this going to play out? Boise State's been bad against the run. Can Algier carry the load? You know, does it really matter how much quarterback player they're going to need? Is this a, a BYU offensive line that's been really good, being really good, and Algier being really good behind him? It won't matter if Boise State puts an extra guy up in the box, brings that safety up to try and stop the run. Maybe they just won't be able to do it. So... Plenty of storylines there. Utah, USC, the Pac-12 is wild and crazy. Utah is, uh, you know, coming out of just a horrific week. Um, so I, no telling how they're going to respond when Kyle gets that question directly. And he says he doesn't know. If he doesn't know, I don't know how the rest of us know. Um, USC with an interim coach. It's, you know, been alternating wins and losses here. Two and two in the conference. Now, if they win this game and be three and two, and they don't play conference games the next two weeks with a bye and, and then Notre Dame, they might find a whole lot of the South Division coming back to them. So, lots of storylines in these games. We're going to hit both of these stories through this first hour. We're going to start with Aaron Roderick, BYU's offensive coordinator, meeting with the media. So, who's getting uh, the most reps in practice at quarterback? Um, well, as of right now, nobody's been ruled out. Um, Jacob, Jaron, Baylor, Soljay, all out there getting reps, just like always. Um, we have a pretty good system here of giving everybody reps. But, uh, yeah, they're all – so far, nobody's been ruled out. And um, I will say Jaron's closer than Baylor right now. But um, we're they're all – so far, nope, they haven't told me that anybody can't play. You knew that question was coming, so I just thought yeah, I'd no, I'm, I was ready now. for it, and that's, <laughs> that's where we stand. So we still get one more good practice tomorrow. We'll get, we'll get a lot of team reps tomorrow, and that'll be kind of the we'll, – we'll probably make a decision after tomorrow's practice. The other thing I wanted to ask about, we're going to talk to Puka later, and, and I've known the Nakuas for a long time, and, and they definitely have their own attitude and personality that they bring. Sometimes they kind of walk the line. I know there was a, a penalty earlier in the season. How do you how do you try and balance that? Because you want guys to, to have some swagger and you know that confidence in themselves, but at the same time, you don't want it to go too far. Yeah, that was one, one penalty one time, but 
those guys bring so much energy to our team. First of all, they're good players. They make us better just because they're really good players. And, uh, but they also just have a, a presence about them that brings confidence to our team. It brings energy to our team. They, they love playing the game. Both of them play so hard. I think it forces everybody else to sort of raise their, their effort level. And, and um, they've definitely made us better. Going back to the quarterback question, just I guess how tough is it to prepare in a week when, I mean, when Jaron went down, you're like, it's fine, we have Baylor, but then Baylor gets injured and then you're like, okay, well, we have Jacob, but then hmm. you're running towards the end of your line. So how hard is it to sort of work on these guys to make sure that they're getting better, but then also be preparing the team for the next game? Uh, it's not a big deal. We're, we're I mean, it's, it's, that's the job. That's part of the deal. It's, it's, uh, that's coaching. And, and like I said, right now, all of them are, uh, available as far as I know right now. So they, you know, we're, it's really, we're really not at the end of our rope right at this moment because it feels like we're getting healthier, not, not less healthy. Okay. And then Jake. Yeah. Yeah. Aaron, big picture uh, question. What, through five games, it's hard to nitpick. You're five and all, but what what would you like to see your your offense improve, uh, in either this game or moving forward? Um, just you know, we, we we'd like to score a few more points. I feel like um, in each of our games, for various reasons, we've left a few points out there, and uh, the I think the good news is that it I, I don't see any glaring flaw in what we're doing um we don't have any you know massive weaknesses that i think we have to overcome right now um you know we had uh, the first game would like to have scored a few more points we didn't finish that game the way i wanted to um but there were a lot of unknowns utah and arizona state those were just great defenses physical games where running the ball and using the clock uh became part of the part of the way to win as a team and i thought we did a good job with that um in the especially in the fourth quarter in both of those games and uh but in both cases you know if you if you if you're not just running the ball all the time and eating the clock you could you know you might score a few more points but you also are giving the ball back to the other team and so we we take a lot of pride here in playing team football and so each game you know the game the other night there was a there was a part of that third quarter there where it was it was tough sledding for a minute and uh, we had three penalties we had three three possessions um, in the third quarter where we went three and out and um, it really uh, all three of those drives we had a penalty that set us back and so we were third and twelve on one we were you know got got to some bad bad down and distance situations with a 14 point lead. Our defense was playing great. So uh, I was a little more conservative. It really didn't have to do with Jacob. I would have been just as conservative with anybody at quarterback right there. When you're back in your own territory with a two score lead and it's third and 12, you know, we're going to hand the ball off and run it. <laughs> and um, that's just, that's just uh, part of the game. But, you know, in those situations, I'm talking to coach Tuiaki about he's sitting right next to me in the booth and we're playing we're playing football as a team and so i'm really happy with that and i think we're capable of scoring a lot of points on any given saturday 
would like to do that a little more often. And I think, I think you'll see it. I think it'll happen. And then you stated a few years ago, you wanted to get more chunk plays, more explosive plays. And yeah. you've, you've really done that. And yeah. no question about that. What has been the key to doing that or, or who has been the key maybe? I think the key to that was just when we decided as a staff that we're just, we're going to be aggressive. You know, we made a decision. It was around, it was around the time we played Boise state two years ago. You know, we had lost, we had lost to South Florida and, and Toledo and, and uh, kind of reached a point where we decided that, you know, we can't just keep sustaining this, uh, you know, trying to stay on schedule four yards here, four yards there, stay on schedule, you know, 14 play drive to get a touchdown that, that that's hard to do. And so we started finding ways to be more aggressive, whether it was throwing the ball down the field or whether it was being creative with, uh, with our personnel, you know, our, our, you know, mixing in a trick play, whatever it was, we just decided we got to be more aggressive and let it, let it rip. And so, and then as we've gotten just more time in the offense, our players have learned the system better. We've got experienced players. Then if you, if you combine that with being aggressive and your ability to run the football, then the explosive plays have a chance to happen. Aaron, where have you seen Tyler Algier improve the most as a running back from last year to this year? Um, his physical conditioning is a step above what it was last year. He's, he's a little bit bigger, a little stronger. He's always been fast. He was fast when he got here, but he's really fast now. I don't know if you guys can tell. I thought our team speed in the game, the game at Utah State, I thought our team speed really showed up. You know, we're bigger than them, but our team speed took over that game. Like their skill players can't run down our 230-pound running back in the open field. We've got team speed and our you know, uh, I thought our defense, our defense played 50 something snaps of man coverage in that game. I don't think that's ever been done in BYU history uh, to play man coverage, 40, 50 snaps. And uh, I just thought that really stood out in that game. And Tyler was sort of the lead, the leader of the, you know, our team speed being on display. He's a fast dude. And um, the improvement he's made in a year has just been Physically, he's really put in the time to build his body into uh, a great running back. I also wanted to ask you, how nice is it to know that you can insert Connor Pay at center and Campbell Barrington at right tackle and seemingly your offensive line doesn't skip a beat? Yeah, those guys did a good job. And Connor showed up in the bowl game last year for us at center um, and then played a, played a good good game the other night. Campbell Barrington's going to be a great player here. He's, he's going to be a great one. I'll say it now. He's... He's not there yet, but he's on his way, and he's got a lot of ability. We had Jared, last question. I wanted to ask about getting ready for Boise State. What do you see from them? Uh, I see a team that's a lot better than their record. I know that. Um, I think everybody is surprised at what their record is, but you look at who they've played, uh, you know, losing a really close game to Central Florida. We all know how good they are. Um, Oklahoma State is very good team. I mean, that that's a good football team. You can tell on film they've got big physical team, a lot of team speed. And, uh, you know, Nevada's a good team. I mean, they've, they've had a tough – a couple of tough losses, I think, in there. But 
they're very well coached. They're still the same like Boise guys. I mean, they are tough guys. They do everything right. Um, and I think the ball just hasn't bounced their way a couple times this season where it's been just super close. I mean, that Oklahoma State game, there's a couple close calls in that game where they, you could argue that maybe they should have won it. Uh, and so they've got our full respect, full attention. Um, I, it, I don't see a big difference in them from now to the past. They're, they're the same guys, same good team. Just, uh, just think they've had a couple of bad breaks this season. You've played some teams that have struggled against the run. And when you've got a running back, you know, running back room with Tyler and, and Peeney and things like that, the thought is from the outside, oh, these guys should have a heyday, but then Boise State knows that as well. So how do you kind of balance your game plan approach as you kind of look at that, at what Boise State's going to try and do in the chess match and, and using your, your horses and things like that? Yeah, I think the rush defense thing is, I think it's also misleading. Um, they have, uh, they, they played a couple of really unique teams. I mean, they played some some really unique teams, right? I mean, Central Florida, what they do is so unique. Uh, you know, it's almost like you got to have a whole, it's like, it's like going to defend Air Force or something. You got to have a whole different type of thought process when you defend a team like Central Florida. And then Utah State's def- offense is even more unique. It's like, you know, they're, they're so spread across the field. They sort of force you to sort of do some things that maybe aren't your normal defense. Uh, and so I think a couple of those games where there's some stats show up uh maybe it's not really indicative of who they really are on defense i i expect them to come in and play really tough against us and we're, we know we're going to get their best shot i know they're very well coached and uh they're very experienced they've got you know those a lot of those faces i see on that film are the same or num- jersey numbers i see on that film are the same jersey numbers i've been seeing for two three years so uh we, we know we're going to get their best shot, and we have nothing but respect for those guys. There's BYU offensive coordinator Aaron Roderick. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to hear about the Utes opponent, the USC Trojans, Ryan Abraham, uscfootball.com, and the podcast of champions coming up next. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Utes look to pick up their first ever win in the Coliseum as they hit the road to square off against the Trojans of USC. Catch the Ute pregame show Saturday at 5 o'clock with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Ute football. You ready? Yeah! The 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We are joined now by Ryan Abraham, uscfootball.com publisher and host of the podcast of Champions. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows that 2022 budget planning for most businesses is coming soon. Take advantage of their Save Now, Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. Ryan, good morning. Welcome back into the show. Good morning. Uh, I'm trying to figure out this Pac-12 football season. I I don't know what I'm seeing each week, but it seems (laughs) pretty crazy, which... I guess kind of makes sense. It's on brand for our conference here. Ryan, when it rains in L.A. in October, you know it's a screwy year. 
it's so weird. We're here, and it's like, you know, you're getting ready for this, uh, you know, football game, uh, Raiders and Chargers at SoFi Stadium, and they're, like, delaying it in an indoor stadium. We're looking outside. We didn't hear anything about thunder and lightning, and it's, like, pouring outside, and, like, it was crazy. Yeah, so it was weird things are going on here in uh, L.A. and in the Pac-12 in general. So I'm curious what you think of a 3-2 and two USC football team. Is it as simple as they're kind of mediocre and they've lost to two pretty good teams and beaten three teams that aren't nearly as good? Do you think their play is varying week to week? What's going on? Yeah, I think all of those things. Uh, I mean, Stanford definitely better than I thought they'd be this season. Oregon State looks, you know, legit. Um, you know, but they those are teams that you could lose to but not really get blown out at home. That didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And they looked, you know, very competent against Washington State and Colorado and, and you know San Jose State, but you know, I don't know how good any of those teams are. So it's to me, it's just still there's so much up in the air. I think once you fire a head coach after two games, you had an interim. We've seen this at USC many times over the years. So you see an interim kind of take over. There's going to be some ups and downs. There's going to be some things that everyone likes, maybe better. I think the whole discipline thing early on. I mean, they only had five penalties in that first game against Washington State, and Dante Williams was like, "Hey, that's five too many." Well, they've had significantly more than that the last couple of games. And I think, you know, the preaching, the you know, new culture and discipline and all that is nice, but is it going to be able to stick? And asking an interim head coach to kind of keep a team together for at least 10 games, uh, that's a pretty big ask. So I, I think this is just going to be a, sort of a grab bag season for USC. they got some really talented players, but I don't know. From week to week, I guess it's going to be like a box of chocolates. You're just not going to sure what you're going to get. Yeah, I think you can say that if you want to go big picture. It's very accurate, obviously, when you just look at their performances. And I think almost symbolic of that, if not in fact symbolic, is the play of Slovis because he's been up and down. And I'm not sure where to go with him because I thought that he was on his way to being an NFL guy and a top draft pick. Now I'm not so sure. What do you see? Yeah, that first year, 2019, uh, when when Graham Harrell's offense came in, he just looked – uh, amazing coming off the bench, you know, after JT Daniels uh, goes down with the injury. And, you know, last year, 2020, was a weird year. We talked about his mechanics not being great. I think further in general, he's thrown the ball a lot better uh, this year than he had than he did last year. Just the ball coming off his hands. For the most part, it looks like you know, a much more competent thrower of the football. I think not having guys like Amon Ross St. Brown and Tyler Vaughn's as security blankets out there has hurt a little bit. And he's trying to figure out who that next – number two guy's going to be. You know, Drake London is amazing. Probably, you know, maybe the best player in the Pac-12, just football player. Uh, this kind of catches he's made are, out, uh, you know, otherworldly. He's just been amazing. But you're looking for who's that number two guy. We've seen Gary Bryant Jr., you know, catch touchdowns the last three games. Michael Trigg came on. He's got his first touchdown as a true freshman. But I don't feel like outside of uh, Drake London, he knows who that next guy is going to be and maybe, you know, has the trust to be able to get off of London if he's got three guys on him and then and just find his next read and, and let the ball fly. So I think that's part of what's going on. But um, whenever you have Drake London to throw to, I think any of us could have been a, a decent quarterback. So we'll see if Slovis can kind of take that next step. But he still hasn't looked like he did when we saw him as a freshman in 2019. So you're good at this. You jumped my next question off PK's question. You answered two at one, getting into the whole issue at receiver. Uh, and we have talked about London without you here, and we've both been blown away by what he's done. But that makes me think that Kyle Whittingham and uh, the defensive coaches are just going to double him. He'll be bracketed wherever he goes. Can anyone else beat one-on-one coverage and make multiple big plays? 
I mean, Taj Washington yeah, I mean, the think, next receiver, but he's got one touchdown in five games. Right. Yeah. No. Exactly. And I think uh, you know he, that was the first game too. And um, he's I like Taj Washington a lot. The transfer from Memphis. He was a freshman All American. Uh, just watching his feet, uh, I think you need to use him a little bit different ways. Like they they threw like a fade to him in the first game against San Jose State and caught a touchdown. But he's five eleven. Like he's not someone that. Uh, you're trying to throw over the top two. I think you want to catch him on a post or something, get him in space, and then let him run uh, after the catch. I think that's where he's going to be the most effective. Gary Bryant Jr. is, like I mentioned, he's been uh, you know he's been catching touchdowns. Uh, he had the big one, um, you know, a couple games ago when you know Jackson Dart came into the game and it just kind of uh, generated that rally against Washington State. It was his you know touchdown over the middle that sort of sparked the whole Trojan football team, and I think. He's someone that has that capability. But I'm curious to see what Utah does because we saw a couple of years ago in the Coliseum against Matt Fink, the backup quarterback, they played a lot of man, and that's something that USC's great receivers have been able to burn them. But now, if you can play man, but you're doubling up uh, or you know getting extra help over on Drake London, now he's still capable of making those catches. We've seen him throw up in the triple coverage and come down with the ball because he's just ridiculous that way. But I feel like there's more opportunities there to maybe play man and, and make someone like a Gary Bryant or, or a Taj Washington or a Michael Trigg out of tight end position beat you because it's, they've seen some flashes there, but not, you know, there's not proven uh, production coming out of those spots. outside. Uh, like you mentioned, Drake London, that's proven production. But the other guys, I think they're sort of a you know, wait-and-see mode to see who is the one that steps up and, and becomes like the Robin to his Batman. Had a running game with Ingram going over 100 against Colorado, the Texas transfer. Is there something there that can be sustained, or is that just Colorado? Yeah, I think it's – I mean, Colorado's usually pretty good defensively, and uh, USC ran all over them. Um, and it was uh, – I think it was encouraging because they, you know, Washington State wasn't that great against the run, and USC struggled the last two years you know, running the ball there. They wanted to do like a 1-2 punch, uh, a 1-A, 1-B uh, with Ingram and uh, Vavai Malpei, but they also have another transfer. Ingram's transfer from Texas. Uh, Darwin Barlow came on the scene last week, too, and I've liked what I've seen from him in camp. He's a TCU transfer, so a couple of Texas guys, and they got the, the bulk of the, the work there. So Barlow sort of worked his way into this two-man rotation that, with Vavai in there as well, but he, got, he had much more production, though Vavai got the only touchdown on the ground last week. So I'm curious to see how they use that. They, they wanted to get away from a committee, but I think it's got to, they're, you're probably going to see those three guys uh, running the football. But I think Ingram's kind of made it clear that he's the, the guy, he's the number one uh, threat out there. He just can do a lot. And I think if you know, they can get him involved in the passing game. Um, and we'll see. I, they haven't run a lot between the tackles. They kind of line up in a pistol sometime and then uh, bring it over to a shotgun. And they do a lot of wide runs out of that. But, um, I think you might see a little bit more of that, too, just depending on how that interior of the USC offensive line plays. But Ingram's the guy, and I think he can be effective against you know most run defenses. He's, I think he's USC's uh, biggest threat right now. So the Utes have had a problem fumbling the ball. How will the USC defense be at stripping the ball? What do you think? Yeah, it's, uh, it's been sort of up or down for the USC defense. We've seen you know games where they're getting in the backfield, and getting three sacks, or last week they got five sacks plus a couple of quarterback tackles that ended at the line of scrimmage. They're essentially sacks. And then they have other ones where it's just barren, like they've got nothing. Uh, the other three games, like no sacks. And I think that's going to be the key to 
forcing the ball out if you can get you know, some pressure in the backfield. And that's it's been really hit or miss uh, for USC. I think getting you know Nick Figueroa back the last couple of weeks, they saw Jacob Lichtenstein have a, a breakout game with a couple of sacks against uh, you know against Colorado last week. Uh, and we've seen Drake Jackson really sort of been the, the catalyst for everything. Uh, he had a big game uh, against uh, Colorado as well. I think when he's rolling, and sometimes they were dropping him the coverage and he's just really not been involved as much, but when he's hand on the ground, getting after the quarterback, we've just seen this defense work a lot more. So I think, you're, I think you'll see some opportunities to strip the football if they use him uh, more of the Ed Rusher guy just kind of coming in and trying to disrupt everything in the backfield. Otherwise, then I think you know some of that stuff, the misdirection stuff, USC might be kind of on their heels a little bit, and that you probably won't see any kind of uh, you know strip you know strip sacks or you know, stripping the the running back or anything like that. So to me, I would watch the front, see if they can get some pressure up there, and if they can, there's some opportunities for turnovers. So we know Dart has returned to practice on a limited basis. Any idea when he would be cleared and ready to go? Yeah, all we get from uh, Dante Williams is week to week. So it's similar, but what you guys get from <laughs> Whittingham, maybe that's even more uh, than what you guys get on injuries. But just to see him out yesterday in uh, pads, you know, for the first time, and we've seen him walking around even, you know, days after the surgery. He looked like he was walking around, you know, fine with a little knee brace on. Um, so I, I wouldn't anticipate anything happening this week, but they go into a bye week. So my guess would be, uh, he would be available for, for Notre Dame. But at this point, just to see him sort of getting back there, it, it gives you the indication that we thought it might be like a three- or four-week injury. But there's talk that it could have been a you know, six- to eight-week injury. It seems like it's going to be more on the, the former side where you know, his, potential, his potential to come back uh, would be against Notre Dame in a couple of weeks. It is possible to go through the schedule and say, "Oh, look, USC is going to finish uh, six and six. It's also possible to go through the schedule and say they're going to finish nine and three. What are the expectations for them right now? What do you think is realistic? Yeah, that's. I mean, I think that's exactly right. You could look at it like they could lose any of these games, you know, and uh, but they could they could win them all, and uh, it's crazy to look at that. Um, just the way this team has has performed up and down, just talent wise. It's there, but uh, we've seen them play well on the road. We've seen them lay complete eggs uh, at home. So that's why I think this Utah game is going to sort of tell us a lot. I mean, if it's another home loss, especially like embarrassing fashion, I mean, I think they really have to kind of look inside and say, hey, what's going on here? This is, you know, losing to a, a Stanford or an Oregon State or a Utah or two of those teams, but you lose all three at home, there, there's something that's not quite right. And, you, you can't really blame Dante Williams. You, you get it. He took over this team on a Monday, just found out, walked into a meeting, and had to address his players like, hey, I'm the head coach now. So I can't even imagine what that would be like. But I think he's doing his best to put his stamp on this team and keep the expectations high that they've had before. I think some of the fans of, you know, the expectations are sort of meh. They're like, they're just waiting to see who the next head coach is going to be. And maybe, you know, losing that game to Oregon State. Uh, took a little pressure off of Dante Williams because there was talk about him potentially, you know, taking over and, and being the permanent head coach. But now I think they can just sort of focus on, all right, we've got to win games and, you know, figure out what happens at this point. So I, I think they might play a little bit looser this season. Uh, but you're right. Is it going to be six and six? Is it going to be nine and three? Somewhere in between. I'm guessing, you know, kind of an eight and four type of uh, finish for the team, which I think would be pretty good for Dante Williams if he goes out and, uh, you know, just loses a couple games for his, you know, his interim head coach tenure. Plus, he's dealing with the death of his father, too. 
yeah, I mean, that's another just kind of piled on. And, you know, when these coaches get into uh, game mode and, and season mode, it just sort of like consumes you. And then when your duties completely change and now you're running the entire program and you have to deal with something like the death of your father, yeah, I, it's, it's hard to even imagine. So, uh, I mean, he's, I think he's handled this extremely well for, for the kind of circumstances he was put in. It's not like he was a coordinator or anything. He was a cornerbacks coach. It wasn't even like the full secondary coach. But the, the fact that he's been such a good recruiter, had great relationships with most of the players that are on the roster because he recruited them, uh, I think that's helped uh, quite a bit. But, yeah, just it's amazing what he's been having to, to deal with so far this uh, short season. Well, Ryan, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. And we'll just all turn on the TV and watch for three, three and a half hours and try to figure this out because it's a Pac-12 and you really don't know anything for sure. Really, we don't know. It's sort of just, yeah, this is the ultimate reality show. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. I I watch this team every day and I have no clue. (laughs) So it's a weird feeling, but here we are. So it's a Pac-12. It should make it fun, though. There's Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com and the podcast of Champions. When we come back, Riley Jensen, our college football insider, is talking Utes and Cougars next. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. It's back-to-back Mountain West Conference opponents for the Cougars as they welcome in Boise State to Lavelle Edwards Stadium for a showdown against the Broncos. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 1230 with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Time to welcome in Riley Jensen, college football insider. He is on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows that 2022 budget planning for most businesses is coming soon. Take advantage of their Save Now, Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. Riley, good morning. What's up, you sorry dudes? I'm sorry. (laughs) We got big football games. Teams, opponents that draw an emotional reaction. Utah playing USC, BYU playing Boise State. The Broncos are 2-3, and three, which is very unusual. The Cougars may have to play their third-string quarterback again. He's got two entire quarters of college football experience. But the Broncos struggle to run the ball and struggle to stop the run. Analyze this one, big guy. Well, I, I can tell you this. Um, having having a chance to watch Utah State and BYU play in person on Friday night, um, a couple of things that were that just really stood out as far as BYU goes. Um, Baylor Romney has one of the best deep balls that I've seen in college football in a long time. Unbelievable patience, plays quarterback the way that I love quarterbacks to play it. Meaning he he doesn't. He doesn't overcomplicate it. He takes what what the defense gives him. I thought he was really good. I thought it was unfortunate that that he got knocked out of the game because I thought he was playing such an amazing game. Um, and then when 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 they brought in the rookie, when they brought in the freshman, um, there was definitely some nerves. And so if if he has to play this week, 
Um, I think that's. I think those two quarters are going to are, are going to be really really important for him. I also think that the week of practice is going to be really good for him. And then the other thing that stood out in the BYU game is as impressive as I thought Algier has been. Just watching him on TV in person, that guy's a man. And watching him take some of the hits that he took in the Utah State game, he doesn't even get up and limp at all. There's there he he's in great shape. He's just a brick to tackle. And um, obviously, he gave Utah State everything that they could handle. And I think he's going to give teams everything that they can handle going forward. It's very few times that we see a running back in college now that can be the the the, the every down back. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. He he can run it on first down, second down, and third down and take that kind of abuse and just be ready to go the next week. It's it's really quite impressive how good he is um, in person. It's it's more than what you see on TV. So I think Conover gets the nod. With that in mind, what type of game plan do you think A Rod devises? Well, I think I think he's got a he's got a plan. A lot of like, and one of the things I I thought A Rod called one of his best games on Friday night. I, I love he has a whole bunch of different. Um, a different, a different twist and a different look to these, these new screen passes where it looks like the receiver's running like an arrow route, but he's running behind the line of scrimmage, and then they have the wide receivers like blocking downfield for him. And he he he's got to get a few of those for Conover. He's got to he's got to get him some completions early before they throw the ball downfield. And I think I mean. If there's anything that we know about A-Rod up till now is these quarterbacks will be prepared for the games that they play in. And, and so far, so good. I mean, the, the quarterbacks have played good with the exception of I thought Conover struggled in the third quarter, got a little bit better in the fourth quarter, but not quite the level that they need. But he'll have them, he'll have them ready for Boise State. And you're just going to get a steady dose of Tyler Algier against Boise State, the way they struggle against the run. He's going to pound the rock. He's going to set that up. Give Conover some play action passes, and and I think BYU wins this game even even with the rookie even with the rookie starting a quarterback. A third straight year of third string quarterbacks starting in this game. Does this does any of this ever sink in and slow down the transfer portal, or that's just not how nineteen year olds are wired? So never mind. Well. I mean, I have a little bit of experience with this, right? Like, I transferred, I transferred from BYU, and I was in a battle with 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 Federick and Shoemaker when I was playing at BYU, and um, Federick ended up winning the job and getting hurt. Shoemaker by the by by the midseason, Shoemaker was out, and they had Drew Miller starting, and you just, it's really hard to be that. Uh, mature and that forward thinking as a 19 year old. I, I I just don't know, especially in the quarterback position where it is so competitive just to get a college scholarship, and it's so competitive that you want to play when you do get to where you go. I I just don't I don't I don't think it's going to slow down anything in the portal. However, if you, if you can if you can be smart about things and if you can think things through. Um, you're going to get your shot. It's just whether it's whether you're ready for your shot or not um, that, that matters, right? 
Yeah, and at the same time, and for Boise, Sears wasn't getting his shot in, uh, in at SC, so he got a shot in in Boise, so he played. Right. So sometimes it works. I mean, no, I know the I, theory being listen, stick around. And listen, I played at Utah State. I mean, it, it, it's not always terrible, but it's not always ideal. I mean, look, I mean, I say this all the time. I mean, very few of us are first-round draft picks, right? Most of us are sixth, seventh-round free agents. I'm not even sure that I was, you know, a first-round draft pick for my wife, but it's what you do with your chance, right? And so you just got to be ready. And and sometimes you transfer, sometimes you don't. My, my thought is when I, when I talk to quarterbacks that are getting recruited, I'm like, go to a school that if the coaches got fired – if nothing worked out for you that you'd still like to go to the school, like you'd still like going to school there. And if that's, if that's the case, then, then you're going to be able to be resilient and be able to make it through a lot of different scenarios um, wherever you go. Right. Yeah. I don't know that a third did. Th- it is the third year in a row that th- uh, three third team guys started. Didn't Sears start last year and then got hurt. And then Finnegan came in. So not started played. Right. Right. So, I mean, look, this is true at every single school. Like, I, I mean, I was thinking about tweeting something out the other day just about all these second-string quarterbacks around uh, around the state of Utah that have played well. I mean, you got Romney, you got Peasley at Utah State. Um, obviously, at the University of Utah, he was the second-string guy to start out with, with Cam Rising, right? And all of these guys – Already, and I think it's impressive the mindset that some of these second-string quarterbacks have had recently to come in and play well when their numbers called. I mean, there was there was a point where Peasley at Utah State comes in and goes eight eight of nine for like ninety-eight yards against Air Force, and and has a big run and and helps Utah State beat Air Force. So the 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 mentality of a quarterback right now has got to be a little bit different than what it was. But I I just think it's hard to to tell an 18, 19, 20-year-old that when when all of their hopes and dreams are based on whether they play or not. And typically a second-string quarterback doesn't play in a game unless there is an injury. So USC is 3-2, and 2-2 two, two and two in conference. They are all over the map. Um, do you think it's really SC all over the map, or maybe Oregon State's way better than we expected, and Stanford's a little better than we expected, certainly after we saw them week one? And so we're just seeing USC's a mediocre team, and they've beaten bad teams and lost to good teams. Yeah, I kind of, I, I, that's, that's what I feel like. I, I don't know how you keep everything together with USC right now. I mean, when you fire a coach that early in the season, it's really, really hard for an interim coach to keep everybody happy and to keep everybody playing hard and, and, and do what they need to do to win. Now, you know, they ran the ball a little bit better last week. They did, they, they did some things that maybe they haven't done in other games. Um, you know, Jackson Dart is, is still hurt. He's still, you know, nursing that knee. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen when he comes back. Um, you know, obviously Slovis played a little bit better He's last week. He's practicing now. Dart is. He, uh, he did return to practice. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's it's like ginger. It's it, it's very very light snaps. I, right. I would guess that it's two it's two weeks three weeks before yeah. he could be considered for play. Right. So you're you're looking at 
you're looking at a few different weeks, and I, and I don't even know that that's the way that they want to move. And I don't even know, I mean, personally, if I'm Jackson Dart, do I want to waste this year on a on a year where there's no head coach? Do I want to? Do I? How many games do I really want to play in? Maybe maybe you nurse that thing until there's only three games left in the season, and then that way, if you play three games, you know you, you're still under that four threshold, and it still counts as a redshirt year. I don't I don't know how you do that and how you think about that as a player right now. Um, three and out, he's going to the NFL. What are you talking about? Yeah, I'm with PK. Jeez. <laughs> Three games, and you think he's going to NFL? Three years. Do the NFL requires three years out of high school, right? So it doesn't matter if he burns a year of eligibility or not. Exactly. He's going. He's going big time. Fair enough. I'm not. I'm not sure that. uh, I think he's just more worried about like, hey, I got to get on the field and I got to play well for USC. I think he'll cross that bridge when it comes. But look. USC is going to be all over the place. I think they're dangerous when the University of Utah plays them just because they are very athletic. That wide receiver is unbelievable. And I think they can make plays. Uh, it just kind of depends on, on, on which USC team shows up this week and, and whether they're happy or whether they're in a bad mood, whether they're content, whether they're not content. And it's just It seems like there's a lot of wins down there that just kind of decide whether USC is going to play well or not. And I'm looking forward to actually seeing – a USC team that's brought some stability and see if that team can't be good again. Because right now, it's just, I feel like they're a disappointment every year. I like the psychological a psychological aspect that coaches play. So if you have a crappy non-conference season, well, we're 0-0. Zero and zero. Now Utah has been saying they're 1-0. And, zero and uh, you know, there's only two teams in the South that don't have a loss. And there's only, I think, one team in the North yep. that doesn't right. have a loss in conference play, I'm speaking of. So they play these games. And do you think SC might be thinking, hey, we have two but this division is all over, man. You try to figure it out, and it's just impossible. The Bruins look like they could have taken uh, maybe a light stronghold, which is sort of an oxymoron, but then they get beat and basically get run off the field against the Devils on Saturday. So the point being that you can look at it in terms of, hey, 6-3 and three might get it done. And so, uh, especially, or maybe in 7-2, and two, in that SC can saddle the two teams that have zero losses right now with losses so they could have tiebreakers. You think that's going through their mind and playing that psychological game? Yeah, I mean, look, coaches are going to hold on to whatever psychological game they can play, right? I mean... You have to you have to play the cards that you're dealt, right? And so when they're when they're there, that's 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 what you're thinking. That's what you're telling guys. You're going to come up with a good game plan, and then you're going to try and go out there and, and play good football. Now the Utes have not typically played well down in the Coliseum. Uh, I think that I think that helps USC. I don't know. This just seems like a huge opportunity for the U, but I but I also just I don't feel like all the problems are resolved with the U. I, I, I it's it's really going to be interesting to see what happens, what their reaction is, coming off a of bye week, coming off of death of a teammate. Um, I don't know whether they're going to come out really fast or if they're going to come out flat. I mean, there's really just a lot of variables that are going on right now. You try and control the things that you can control as a coach. But as a former coach, I can tell you that you, you, 
you prepare and you go through scenarios with teams all the time, and then you get to the game, and the exact scenario that you prepared them for happens, and they blow it. I mean, it's it's just sometimes it's like mind blowing. You're like, that's exactly what we showed you. That's exactly what we said was going to happen, and then you you still let it happen. And so you you try and get these guys to focus as much as possible. There's been a lot of distractions for both of these teams. So I, like you said, I mean, if there's any if there's anything stable about the Pac-12 right now, it's instability, right? I guess what USC has going for them along those lines is that they've got a bye week and then Notre Dame. So they could be back in the conference race big time, just not playing a conference game for two weeks. I mean, they've already played four. They used to played one. So they'll let everyone else come back to them, I guess. Yeah, I think, I mean, look, it's it's a long season. I when you and I, and I it, it was fun for me to be at the BYU Utah State game on Friday because I, I just forget how long those games are. Right? I mean that that was the biggest that was the biggest adjustment for me coming out of high school to to college football is like college football is a considerably longer game and there's a lot of different momentum shifts and you got to be able to weather the different momentum shifts that happen. And it's also a long football season compared to like when you're in high school. And so, you know, you if you have more veteran guys, they're they're, you know, when you've got a Covey on your team, when you've got a guy like Nick Ford who's been on the team for a while, they can help. They can help younger guys, and they can help people to understand like, hey, yeah, we're up fourteen to three right now in the second quarter, but this is a long game. Like we we got to keep doing what we're supposed to do. To, to win this game, and we got to keep doing things, and and you got to. They're also the guys that can keep telling guys like, "Hey, look, we're one and zero in conference. This is a long season. We have nine games in conference left. This is what we need to do." And so you hope those guys step forward and like they really kind of groom the, the younger guys to help them to know how difficult and how long a college football season is, and how long a college game is. I mean, the, the different momentum switches that happen in a game are, are really fascinating to me. You pumped up Algier earlier. Uh, you think he's a surefire pro, and if so, what type of pro? Boy, start he's starting to feel like it. I mean, when you when you look at pro when you look at pro running backs that, that are getting a, a good amount of carries, they look a lot like him, right? Like they they're they're the guys that can. I mean, I don't think any of us look at Algier and go, oh, wow, he's a guy that like you can throw a sweep to and he's going to beat people outside and down the sideline, although he does that from time to time. But he's the guy that can run in between the tackles and you're, and you're talking about seven yards, six yards, nine yards, four yards. I mean, even some of his two-yard runs were just really impressive because there was nothing there and he still gets you some yards. I mean, I, it, it seems like it more and more and I – to be honest with you, I was thinking last year, like, oh, it was a nice season he had. He had 1,200 yards. Like, the schedule wasn't as tough as maybe, you know, maybe some BYU running backs had gone against in the past. But this year, he's answered every single question that I have. And I think he has some top-end speed that maybe maybe we hadn't anticipated because, I mean, you just look at him in the Arizona State game when he runs down that linebacker and he knocks the ball out. When he's, when he's breaking some of these long runs, even last year, he has some legitimate speed, and he has that power to run it inside. So I, I feel like he almost fits the pro game better than the college game right now. You see the college game with a lot of these, 
spread option teams like running a lot of sweeps and a lot of speed sweeps and all that kind of stuff. But BYU just lines up and says, hey, we're coming downhill at you and we're going to lean on you. And it looks more like a pro offense. And so I think I think he translates to the next level. Yeah, maybe a bigger, yeah. uh, bigger Zach Moss. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, and I don't know how big Zach Moss is. I mean, he, he's taller. I mean, Zach Moss is pretty compact, too. But I, right. I mean, I see him playing that way, right? Like, I, I mean, and he's not afraid of contact. And he certainly has shown that he's durable over the last two years. Uh, you know, knock on wood, and he's saying that, that out loud. But I mean, he's really good. He's really good. I mean, there was there was a lot of fun plays in that Utah State game. And, uh, you know, Devin Tompkins, the wide receiver at Utah State, he's not just a small, fast guy. He's a guy that can he can take the top off. There were three or four passes where he was over the top of BYU's defense, and then he can catch the ball over the middle. I mean, there were, there were, there were some really, really good players in that game. And I it's a, it's a testament to the coaches around the state of Utah, man. They're – there's some fun football going on in this state. And Tyler Algier is right at the top of all the players in this state right now. And what a cool story, right? A walk-on. He was a linebacker. Then he was running back. Then he was linebacker. Now he's running back. And, man, I, I mean, it's hard not to, to wish good things on him. And everything that his teammates say is that he's a super hard worker, super humble, good guy. And that's all we can go on right now. It seems like this is a great story. Riley, we appreciate it as always. Thanks for joining us. You're the man. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Riley Jensen, our college football insider, joining us each and every week. All right. Stay with us. We're going to take a break. Come back. What is trending? All the headlines are up next. Stay with us.